On today's podcast, we have Rich Day. I was introduced to Rich through the guy that manages my stock account, David Gardner at Caliber Wealth. And I actually ended up investing with Rich. Rich is a phenomenal person, loved working with him and been so impressed by him and have a lot of friends that have invested with him and been very impressed with him as well. He has done over 4,000 apartments in 180 townhomes and has done a lot of industrial real estate as well. So uh, really excited to pick his brain on the real estate market, the changes that are happening right now in the future of Utah. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Rich, thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. I'm glad to be here. Finally connected in person. So I invested with Rich. I don't even know how I found out about, about you. Do you remember? <laughs> you know what? I should have looked it up. Friend, it's, it's, yeah, mutual friends introduced us and, and uh, said, hey, you two are kind of in doing different things, but looking for yeah. opportunities to work together on ideas. And so ended up being, uh, you were looking to place some capital and it worked out perfect on timing. I can't even remember. Did we have a phone call? I'm we sure. We had a phone call. Okay. Yeah. One phone yeah. call. One phone call. That was it. So I was just telling <laughs> Rich, like, dude, that was an easy check, man. I just, <laughs> you know. I didn't say it's, it's, uh, it comes with a level of confidence, right? If yeah, you trust the person sure. that trusts Absolutely. me, it's, you gotta, you gotta trust your network. So I don't know a ton about your story or background yeah. or anything. So Maybe give us some insight. Where did you grow up, your story, yeah. and how you got into real estate? Well, that's great. Yeah, my own background is uh, actually, I mean, uh, we go all the way back. I actually grew up in West Valley um, okay. until I was 10 years old. So growing up in West Valley, it was purely because my family had um, some land that was there. Uh, my great-grandpa donated it to the church, and so he kept a portion of it for himself to farm and to build a couple of homes so until he passed away, uh, we were there in West Valley, but it's no exaggeration. Within six days of my great-grandfather passing away, my dad put our house up for sale, and we moved to Bountiful. Wow. So it was uh, as soon as he could, he could get out of that neighborhood, we were just kind of in a tough spot. How old were you? I was 10 years old. Was yeah. it a rough neighborhood then? It was a rough neighborhood okay. then. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, we, I mean, I could tell you some crazy stories, but yeah. yeah, I mean, just kids at that age that would bring cigarettes to school. And yeah. I mean, I was not introduced to any at of that, that age. at that age crazy. in fourth grade. I remember friends would take cigarettes from home and smoke them out at recess. <laughs> so my dad's <laughs> like, it's kid out of West Valley. And this area. So that was a pretty big swing from one end to the other. Oh, right? it was dramatic. Yeah. So then you grew up the rest in Bountiful. Bountiful. Then, yeah, went to Bountiful High, graduated in 95, and cool. then uh, went and served a mission in Barcelona. And nice. uh, that's actually how I got into real estate, believe it or not, was okay. I was coming back from my mission. I was just finishing, not really sure what I wanted to do. My dad's a psychotherapist. And so I thought, well, I want to go into psychiatry. And uh, I love the idea of, of psychiatry. I studied all of it growing up. My dad used to take me, I'd mow the lawn and, and that in his office. And then in between sessions, I'd sit and talk with him about you know, how he got into it, what his interests were. And, and, uh, so when I came back from my mission, it was, um, a couple missionary that was there said, Hey, our son has a, a little finance company and I know they're growing. So you should talk to him when you get back. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. It's actually interesting. When I got back in 98, um, it was interest rates had dropped to where they are now. So this is in 98, they were at like seven and a half percent or something like that. And they dropped down to six, six and a half. And people were losing their minds trying to refinance and 
do all that. And then we were trying to do some small commercial That's loans. That's really interesting. They're where they're at now, but they were coming in the opposite direction, direction right? Yeah. So they're stoked about the six and sevens. They were thrilled about six and, and sevens. Refying. And oh, here just, we are and panicking. Here, I know. It's like all of a sudden we get a five and a half or six percent interest rate. And people are going nuts. But so yeah, just it's all it's all it's paradigm all relative, and, yeah, yeah. and relative to how you buy your real estate. So Anyway, um, I got into that, and it was funny because that was actually during the time they were transitioning from DOS into Windows. It's crazy to even say that. I mean, yeah. I, this was just the first introduction of like emails. Yeah. So we didn't even have emails. I even had a hard time understanding the concept of wait a minute. So you send, you know, you send this, and you just send it out, and someone gets it in their computer. Like anyway, it was just kind of a funny thing. But then once it started clicking, I was like, okay, I get this. But for the older guys in the office, there were probably 10 or 12 of them. They could not figure out, because with the DOS system, and I don't know, this demographic probably doesn't even understand DOS versus Windows, but uh, the DOS, it was it was purely a tab. You would tab over to get into section. So you'd type, mm. tab, type, yeah. tab. So you go first name, Rich, tab, last name, day, tab, address, and you'd kind of go through that. Well, when it got to the windows, they would come to me and they're like, now, how do you do this again? And I'm going, guys, you literally move this mouse and click where you want it to go. And they're like, you just do it. You do it for me. So I started doing it um, for these older guys. And here I am, 21, 22, and started to recognize that there was some opportunities here where I was like, well, look, we're a brokerage. Why don't we get into the banking side? So we should get a bank and uh, then we can close these in chunks and then sell them off in, in clusters. And uh, the owner of the company was like, I don't even know where to begin with that. And I'm like, let me let me try. Let me look into it. So 23, um, I was uh, I was really digging into the financial side and financing and working on the wholesaling side. And I said, well, let me go out and find some guys that will go and find loans. We'll close on that. We'll close them under our bank and then we'll sell those, you know, whatever loans into, you know, to countrywide or. Uh, Bank of America. And so we'd sell them to those guys. And then I got to be where I was 23 and hadn't gone to college. And I was like, I got to go to school. Really? <laughs> so I hadn't even gone to school up wow. to that point. So I went I'm to, surprised you went to school after you were doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, it was one of those things that um, I think, and it was funny, my dad, uh, the psychotherapist actually said, don't waste your time. You're, you're really? making more money than me. And I, you know, he's got a doctorate in psychology mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, that's not true. He had a master's in psychology, pursuing his doctorate. Uh, I've got a master's in psychology, and you're making more money than me. Don't don't waste your time. But I was like, which I feel like at that time was very progressive. Yes. Right now, that's more common. Absolutely. But even five, ten years ago, that wasn't common. So we're talking. Yeah. What year did you say? 90s? Ninety. So that was uh, that was in like two thousand. Oh, two thousand. Yeah. That I finally was like, I need to. Well, that was so. I was. I ninety eight is when I started. Okay. And then um, it was about two thousand, two thousand one. Was all happening. That I was, you know, kind of yeah. jamming, and what it came down to is, I honestly, I just kind of felt, I don't know, silly to say this, but I felt guilty, like. You know, I have other people that were asking me, so, oh, so where'd you go to, where'd you go to school? I'm like, oh, Bountiful High. Well, well, no, where'd you go to college? I'm like, well, I haven't gotten to college. And so there's this kind of feeling like I needed to go. Wow. Although, I mean, I didn't really need to go because yeah. I went and, and to give you a little more, and this is, well, it is what it is. I, I decided it was, uh, I was used to working a lot, like constantly because I was trying to build this bank and that. So I got to school and um, they were the educator, the, the counselor was like, all right, you're going to take 11 hours of school credit. 
Okay, but you're going to plan on two to three hours every week of homework besides your classwork. So I was like, oh, gosh, this is going to be a 40, 60-hour job. So I actually went and quit my job and wow. on the finance and the banking side. And wow. my guy was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I just got to do the school thing. So I was like, I'm going to do it full time. And ended up taking 11 hours, and I was so bored. I was like, you, this is, I mean, I would go to class from. Just generals, I'm assuming. Just generals, yeah. yeah. I'd go to class from, you know, 7.30 in the morning and be done at, I don't know, 11. Yeah, okay. You know, and be done with class. And then I'm going, I'm not. What are you doing the rest of the day? Yeah, I was so bored. So I was like, you know what, forget this. I I went back to the counselor, and I said, I'd like to add more time. I'd like to do 18 hours. They're like, no, 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 you can't do 18 hours. Yeah. It's going to be too much. Yeah. So I ended up saying, well, let me try it and see what I do. So I did 16 hours the next semester. And I was like, this is, I got this. So I ended up doing 18. And then I went and tried to do 21. And they said, you can't, that's too much. We won't, we will not allow you to do more than 18. So I went and did 11 at the community college and 10 up at the no University way. of Utah. And so wow. it was, uh, Ended up finishing my bachelor's degree in like 23 months. And to finish that story and the question you asked of, you know, I'm surprised you went. Like, I went and at the end of it, I was like, I mean, I guess I have a bachelor's degree now. You did it just to do it. I have it. Yeah. Now now what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, went to finance and and, uh, started my own little finance company. Okay. Um, But kind of had an epiphany that, you know, I'd gotten married um, when I was 27 to my wife, Holly, and kind of had this epiphany that I wanted to get into a little more sophistication. I wanted to get away from just traditional financing of small commercial loans or small residential loans. And I mean, small, the biggest I was doing was four or 500,000 and uh, really wanted to get more into more sophistication. And so I uh, went to work with a quasi-investment bank um, that would was like a managing broker-dealer. So they came to me and said, go get your securities licenses. And I honestly thought they were saying, go sell like security systems sure. is what I thought. Wow. And like I was like, alarm systems. Alarm systems. That's what, when I said, when go get your securities, securities license. license. Yeah. I hadn't, I didn't hear a word about securities at all um, when I was doing the finance side. So I went and got licensed Series 7 after I figured out what they were talking about. Yeah. So I got licensed Series 7, and I worked for a managing broker-dealer um, for a couple of years where I would go out and raise money for other people's projects. And, real estate projects? Uh, all real estate, yeah. Okay. So it was real estate done as a security. So it's kind of a long story to get to where I am. But uh, anyway, uh, the downturn happened. It was a crazy time. Um, gratefully, I... Uh, had good contacts and had some time to step away from it because nobody, well, it was private equity into real estate. Nobody was doing private equity or real, or real estate, let alone private equity into real estate. And then I started to understand a lot more about, um, I was going around, like I'd fly into San Diego and I'd drive up the coastline and I'd meet with independent broker dealers all across, across the coastline, family offices, anybody who would listen to us pitch this institutional real estate from you know, Murfreesboro, Tennessee to Beverly Hills, California. And the reality was, is, is, uh, these guys were these sponsors, what they're called, were doing it. And they were so fee focused that I remember having a conversation with on one the of the fee structure on the what? fee structure. What, what, what kind of returns were you pitching? These were not great. These like were what, 6%, seven, yeah, okay, six, six, six and a half. Yeah. And that's a hard job. Yeah, it's tough. And that was the, that, so that's what it came down to. I sat down with the group out of Philadelphia and, uh, 
right outside of Philly. They were, um, anyway, I really like the guys, but I sat down and I said, hey, listen, if we go through this and I'm looking at the, the sources and uses and the full due diligence package, like we have to hit every single number, every projection for our investors to break even by year six. And they were like, hey, thanks for that. Uh, we need you to go raise the money. We don't need you helping us on deal structure. But wow. they're, they were so fee-focused that that's, what, that's where they were making their money. And I was like, I, that's not a, that's not a sure. good way to continue yeah. to have a long-term you know, totally. investor pool. So anyway, it allowed me to step back. And then when I got back into it in 2011, um, really focused on uh, the local markets and acquisitions. It was a good time for acquisitions in 2011, 2012. Sure. Everything's on sale. Everything's on sale. You could buy, I mean, we, we were buying apartment projects for 50 or 60% less than replacement value. Mm. So if the project was That's incredible, yeah, hundred million to build, we could yeah. buy it for 60 million. Wow. And then you had your high water marks and rents and you're saying, well, gosh, you know, in 2007, 2008 rents were $1,400 here. Right now they're at like, $800. So we know we have all this margin here and we know that the value if this place burned down, we would actually benefit us tremendously because then we could get paid more than you bought it get for. Get paid more yeah. than we bought it for. So really focused on acquisition. Uh, went back to a lot of my institutional partners uh, in terms of raising money. And I partnered with, um, you know, some different groups here locally on the construction side and the development side. And so we would kind of, we had these, you know, loose partnerships where um, we would go out put a deal together and that was kind of the two of us or three of us were partners on the deal. Yeah. And then that's kind of the nice thing about real estate is, is uh, you know, you can invest in one deal versus a fund. Um, what I do is direct invest, but you can do um, invest in one deal and you may not like that area. You may not like Boise, for example. Um, so you don't want to, you're going to pass on a Boise investment, but you like downtown Salt Lake city. So then you pick up on a downtown Salt Lake City project versus the Boise. And so you can kind of pick and choose on these direct investment deals. Yeah. Uh, funds are a little different. Yeah. But we can talk more about that. I, I, I can keep talking as let's, much as you. Let's <laughs> go back to school for a second yeah. because for me, this is a really interesting subject. My I, I went to school too, but for the same reason, just to do it. Yeah. And it's really my wife that wanted me to go more, which I, I wasn't mad about. I was like, okay, it's a resolution. Like, yeah. you know, I, I get it for peace of mind. I think knowing what we know now and, and if she would have known like the industries and what I've done, like, I don't think we would have worried about it, but what do you know when you're 22, 23, yeah. right? Yeah. But for my kids, what I firmly believe is that if you're going to be a doctor or an attorney or something, yes, you do need to go to school. Absolutely. If you don't, and it's a general and you don't know what you're going to do, I'm strongly against school. Here's why. If my kid was 20 years old right now and he's like, Dad, I want to do business or I want to do real estate or what do you want to do specifically? I don't really know, kid. This is what I'd say. Take the same amount of money that you're going to spend on school over the four years and go reach out to a rich day, yeah. a really successful business real estate yeah. guys, and just go work for him for four years. Yeah. Go do your apprenticeship, whatever, and I guarantee you will learn 10 times more working with that person than you'll ever learn in school. Oh yeah. And that's, that's your degree. So that's the way it used to be, right? Is yeah. You used to have apprentices. You would have, you would have your master and then you'd have an apprentice. And yeah. so you'd have, um, I think, and I shouldn't even be saying this without really knowing it, but a master electrician, right. Versus an apprentice. And they have to do that. They have to kind of follow them along and get the understanding before they can actually get their, 
you know, masters of, uh, of electrical engineering yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're not going to get me to counterpoint this because I totally and hundred percent agree. In fact, I finished my undergrad and I was like, okay, well, clearly I didn't learn what I needed to because I don't feel like I got what out of it, what I re- was really hoping. So I went back and got an MBA and I remember sitting, wow, oh my word, down I doubled down here. And here's the reason why is, and it's funny, I was sitting around a table um, I did dinner and I've passed my series seven. I was licensed. I was raising money and I'm sitting with two guys that went to Wharton, a guy went to HBS, um, uh, one guy, two guys, no, three guys that went to Stanford. And I told him, I said, Hey, I'm going to start, you know, uh, start the process of doing my masters. And one of the guy goes, you're already at the table. And he goes, literally you're at the table. You don't need an, a master's degree. But my concern was, was like, that's fine coming from a guy who, who went to Wharton. Like, you sure. went to Wharton, you have that degree. You can say that to me. But me, I'm on, I'm on the other side looking, you know, you guys going, man, we got Wharton and Stanford and HBS. And so I started the process. I went and had my, some interviews out of these schools back east. And um, then, of course, the market crashed. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do something. So I did. I went to Westminster here locally. Mm-hmm. Had a great experience. Cool. But coming back to the school thing. And, uh, and it's, it's a business. The school 100%. higher education is 100% a business. Yeah. Why on earth do I have to take a, um, a class on um, biology, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. For you're example, never getting use. Never, ever. ever. No. And it doesn't in even business in business. You can, ha- you can use it for yeah. a normal conversation. Well, my wife, you know, went to school for a high as a dental hygienist. That makes sense. Yeah. You go and take the biology yeah. classes, Anything you go in the medical field. Exactly. Yeah. Go and take that and pursue business. But she went to hygiene school. So you don't even have to have, you have your associate's degree and yeah. then you go to hygiene school. You don't even have to have a bachelor's, which, you know, she went to the U and that, but um, it's not, it's not necessary to do that. So coming back to my opinion on the university situation is use it for what it should be, which was what these guys really did well, which, you know, some of my friends here locally that went to Wharton and, and HB at Harvard Business School, HBS, they use it for the network. Sure. It's that, that's one, what I think HBS has. 100%. Right? People our age go to HBS yes. and go back and it's, it's for the network. And that's a good thing. Like, look, just being real about it. The good things about school is it teaches you to finish something that you started out to do. It forces you to work with teams and collaborate on projects and study and all that stuff. But I still think if somebody called you and said, Rich, you don't even have to pay me. Yeah. Just mentor me. I'll work yeah. 40 hours a week for four years. Yeah. Just mentor and teach yeah. me. I think you'd be like really likely to teach him a lot and more than he could ever learn. Dram- right. Dramatically. More. And if you took the same money for college and you just lived off that working under a mentor, I just think you'd blow away the results. So that's, oh. that's going to be how we do it with our kids. I agree. If they're not specialists. Yeah. I just believe so much in mentorship and in real life experience. After um, I graduated, I started my first company, which was a sales com- uh, software company. Sorry. And I, I view that as my master's degree. Absolutely. Because we fund, we raise money. We worked with venture capitalists. We hired teens. We had 120 employees and it was wow. like the ultimate project, yeah. you know, yeah, real life project. A hundred percent. Because that's what they try and mimic. That's what we did in yeah. business school was they would say, you can't, you can't, no, it you can't can even come as close. You can, my gosh. Can't. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, starting a business, when you look at it and you go, 
wait a minute, I've got payroll coming up in four days and we've got X amount, we've got to collect this money and what are we going to do in a short-term debt position? I mean, how are we going to bridge this gap between this or or do I have to fly out to Baltimore and pick up a check from this guy that owes me 20 grand or whatever just to make payroll? You don't get that in school. It's all... It's all hyperbole and and you know what if scenarios. So I, I agree. I again, it's it's hard to say um, any. I actually I love what you do in terms of your pursuit of education. In terms of reading, fact, uh, I just downloaded the the who not why. Or, oh, you did. I did. The I just downloaded. Yeah, you right just now? barely. That's yeah, cool. you post. Well, the Cute. I love it. You should see. In fact, I should show you how many copies of. Uh, um, the power of bad I've sent to people. I'm not kidding you. It's probably oh, 25. You saw that when I, I saw that when you posted cool. it. So I, I was like, that. well, no, it's that to that's me in awesome. terms of education. Yeah, that's you're, it. That's it. Yeah. I'm reading this book called the power of bad. And I'm like, this, this it, is so commonsensical. Yeah. And I don't know why I'm not thinking about this. See, and uh, I love psychology and obviously yeah. you do too. Yeah. So that's why I geeked out on that book so yeah, much. Is, that's a good one. It, there's just so much awesome psychology there. That's one of my favorite subjects to read about outside of sales and business and real estate. hundred percent. Yeah. The psychology, the psychology is awesome. Is brilliant. And I think, and I think because of the way that we're educated by way of, of just life experience as well as, you know, in the education system, as well as in, you know, just your home life is, um, it's just the the constant pursuit of education that yeah. really is what it comes down to. And I think, you know, the, the hey, you're going to go and get a bachelor's degree. And maybe the problem is, is you don't quite know what you want to do in life. Which I think is hard, right? Because you're, I remember being in my low 20s and everybody's asking family, parents, uncles, whatever, what are you going to do? I'm like, dude, how would I know? I've I never no done anything. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. why not go a mentor under somebody and then you can see what you like. And one other thought with that is, my software company was in the dental field and it was so fascinating to me. Every time I met with a dentist, they're like, I want to do what you do. Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. hundred percent. And I was like, man, this is the coveted job that everybody wants. Like you're a doctor, you're making a lot of money, but really they all hated what they do. And I didn't know this till I went to some of the conventions that dentists have the highest suicide rate. They're either like number one or number two out of all professions every year. And it, from the outside, it's like, this is a coveted job. But, yeah. And so it's just interesting that a lot of people pick fields and professions based off money, not even knowing if they're going to like it, yep. where I think it, your 20s should be just learning a lot about you and what you want to do. Absolutely. Instead of just blindly picking something yep. based off some criteria that you don't even know if it's going to fulfill you. Yep. But if you can mentor under somebody, I think it would just change everything. So well. You know, coming back to that, I don't know, understand why we don't have more trade schools on specific topics. Like yeah. we have a trade school in real estate development. My goodness, how much help would that be? Rather than, you know, me sitting, you know, at a city council meeting going, oh, wait a minute, Trying how do I need it? to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how do I, how Dude. do I get this across the finish line? And it's, Man. and uh, I've got funny stories about city council meetings though, too, though. We They're just, worth uh, it. we're building a building and uh, for our company and it's just down the street here. And so I had to go to city council to get it approved oh, yeah. and all this. And there's a real estate developer in there presenting some new land. And he was just getting freaking Hammered. slaughtered oh. by everybody in the tension, dude. Oh. You could cut it with no, a knife. I have to tell you so, the story. So you've been there, done that. and It was crazy. So up until this point, like most of my developments are pretty straightforward. They're industrial deals in industrial land or multifamily and multifamily land. Well, a buddy of mine calls and says, hey, there's this Kmart on 45th South and Redwood Road. And I'm like, it's West Valley. It's where I grew up. I know exactly you know where this it. is. Yeah. I know this area. This is a, I mean, I, I, you know, I went to, or I would have gone, I went to Carl Sandburg 
elementary and I would have gone to JFK junior high. And so anyway, I know the area. I'm like, yeah, let me go in. So I went, met with the city council and staff. West Valley city staff is the best. They were so Mm. helpful. Wow. But they said, you get into, you know, city council and you don't really know because it goes out to the public and the public gets to come and respond. Sure. So I go and I present and I present this full deal. My partner is Bridge Investment Group, which is a publicly traded company. I mean, they're my equity partner coming in and we have some, you know, friends and family that are coming on 20%. So I'm presenting at this city council and I get up and they say, okay, we're going to open it up for public discussion. <laughs> and, uh, and then after the public, you can get up and speak. And I was like, great. So public gets up and there is a line of 34 people. One guy from Utah County gets up and he's like number 27. And he goes, listen, and these are people like, this is the worst thing that could ever happen in our neighborhood. We are going to blah, 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 and blah, blah. This guy, like, I'm, I'm not kidding. He's in the 23rd or 24th gets up. He's like, Hey, I'm a developer from um, Utah County. I was looking to come up in the West Valley but what this guy is doing is offering you and your neighborhood a tremendous value. They're going to spend a hundred million dollars in this city half block, a city half block, and you're fighting it. That the next thing that happens to this Kmart is it's going to be a swap meet. That's the only other option it has. It's not zoned for anything wow. other unless you change the zoning today. Yeah. And I was like, hey, you know, thank you as he's walking away. He's your peer. He's my guy. So yeah. anyway, these other guys finish up and they said, all right, we'll give the developer a minute. I stand up and I said, I'll be honest. I have never been in this experience where I'm coming up presenting as if I'm the bad guy. And a lady in the back yells, you are the bad guy. And I'm like, see, that's <laughs> never happened to me before. Oh I've never had gosh. that. So you got this lady yelling Dang, in city council meeting that I'm the bad guy. They go through and they do their vote. And we get, you know, yes, yes. And I'm like, okay, all right. I need two more yeses. And it's no, 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 Dang. yes. So now it's three to three. And the mayor's the last vote. And he goes, I'll tell you what, I hate apartments. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I'm... $250,000 in earnest money that's Dang. gone, plus the other 100000 I've spent in, you know, cost of due diligence. Coming down to this and one he, second. One second. And he goes, however, and as soon as he says, however, my guy, Mark, I love him to death. <laughs> He's one of the best guys there. He starts grabbing me and shaking me. And I'm like, stop, dude, stop. Don't like, I've got yeah. 40 people back Watching here who want to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not celebrate. So anyway, he they approved it. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was, it's fun. But like I said, that's one of many stories. What do you think? Cause you've, you've seen some cycles over, over your years. What do you see this cycle? What, what do you think is going to happen? Is this a big recession? Is it a lighter one? Nobody knows, obviously. So this is just us as friends, just hypothetically our best guess. Yeah. But what do you think? So this is so different than it was in 06, 07. Back then, there was so much financial fraud. The government at the level that people were investing at, the banks that were, I mean, I I mentioned Countrywide, us selling loans into Countrywide and then blending, you know, class A loans with class C loans because they're like, ah, it's okay. There's it's, it's a smaller percentage. So it's not, but then when those start to crumble, it all falls apart. This is very different. This is, this is, uh, um, you know, inflation that's gone up because the, because the, uh, the financial sector, the government, again, I'm not affiliating with them one part or another, but I'm saying yeah. that by dumping so much money sure. into the economy we kind of caused it. Yeah, we cause it. So there's going to be a ripple effect. So but in everything, there's a ripple effect. So right now, as interest rates go up, I've seen 
construction uh, permits go down. Sure. Which means, again, our housing crisis is not being fixed here in Utah. No. So in 2015, I had an epiphany. I'm a big, I'm a big psychology and data guy. Um, when I was going through and on the capital market side of this investment bank, I was really focused on the data side of it. And that's yeah. when I said, went to the group and I said, hey, if you look at this, you know, they, they don't make their money back to break even until six years into the deal. So I'm looking at the data and I'm like, my goodness, we are going to have a surge. We're already at the time 20,000 homes short of demand. Like we're about to have a surge of people moving to Utah. And I mean, in droves. So I, we had stuff in Texas, California, uh, Montana, Wyoming, Arizona. And that's not true. We didn't have anything in Wyoming. Uh, Albuquerque, I meant to say. And I'm like, we just need to sell all this stuff in all these other states and focus on Utah. Um, I really liked Utah. I liked Idaho. I don't love Boise, but that's just me. Um, I like other areas. I, I, I looked at Rexburg. I've looked at Pocatello, but I've really fell in love with Idaho Falls. The data there that screams very similar, the same data that's Utah. in Utah and Salt yeah. Lake. Um, Utah County, uh, St. George, there's all, we're going to see, depending on what you know and understand in terms of the data, um, we're going to see a doubling of population in Utah over the next Again, depending on which study you read, between 40 and 60 years. So you look at where we were established as a state, and you look at from when we started to where we are now is, what, 170 years? Yeah. Over the next 30, you know, 40 to 50, double. we will double. Wow. So we're already now about 50,000 homes short of demand. So the ripple effect that I was talking about is when people stop pulling permits to build, or you stop doing construction because it's, it gets worse. It gets worse. Yeah. And it causes more demand. So now we're going to have maintain prices or keep them up. Exactly. So in Utah, we're a very different location. Utah is phenomenal. The secret's out. We're, sure. we're I mean, uh, the tech guys, I mean, starting with Omniture. Recreation, everything. Yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting about it that's so different because we've lived in Austin, Houston, yes. uh, Dallas is you have a fixed amount of land here. That's exactly right. The mountains we're on pinched. 360 degrees. That's right. That's exactly and right. And you have a lake, yeah. and we're starting to fill in the valleys. That's right. And once they're full, I, I see the curve only going up quicker yeah. and steeper once everything's full. That's right. No, and, and the demand is going to be continued. Because the other thing that you're not seeing that people may or may not know about is what's now called the build-to-rent model, which I have a, a big track around 80 acres in West, well, West Battlefield, Woods Cross area. Okay. And I won't say too many names, but we've got a group, uh, me and a couple of partners own this land. And within uh, 12 hours of us closing on this land, we got an offer for, four, uh, let's see, 12 million more than we paid for it. No way. 12 million in just 12, dirt. In just dirt. Uh, they want us to take it through the entitlement, but that's not even the whole piece of land. That's just the houses, the single family residents. And it's because they want to build for rent, homes wow. for rent. So the market is now shifting. So people that have homes, those homes are now, again, whether or not, and again, there's a big study that was out today. I was reading it this morning that um, some people believe that the value of the market's going to come down 8%, but they're taking the whole nation. Um, but yeah. then there's other people are saying it's going to come down 3%. So about, I mean, there's a couple of groups that say it's going to go up two or 3% in 2023. So then your, your fluctuations, let's call it negative 10 to positive three. Somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah. Is that kind of what you think then? Uh, I think in, in Utah well, or in general, general, and then Utah. 
General, yeah. yeah. General, I think I think we'll see eight, uh, six to eight percent decrease in home values um, okay. across the nation. In Utah, I still think we're going to see uh, either a flat line or um, a slight increase, depending on where you are. Okay, so maybe a temporary pause. Yes, but not a dip. No, because of the interest rates. Uh, and are you talking residential or multifamily residential. or both? Multifamily is going to go up. Because no matter what, I mean, I, I just, shouldn't say no matter the what. Undersupply. Sorry, the undersupply. Sorry, no matter what. But yeah. You strongly think that. I strongly believe that because resi. we had rents in Salt Lake City that grew 14.6% last year. 14.6. So when we do a model, I model and our team models, we project two and a half to 3% growth in rents. Yeah. We had 14.6. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's five years of growth right sure. there that we weren't anticipating or planning on. And yeah. then this year, it's not going to get any better because it's not like we have all these apartments now that are available and people can afford it. So like a uh, project I'm building downtown right now, it's um, right across the street from the Bees Stadium. And um, it's a smaller project. It's only 77 units. But what's interesting is, is our model at the rents today versus our cost six months ago, which is the highest cost we've ever had in terms of construction in the state of Utah, um, it still made sense because it's rents are so cash high. cash flowing and stuff. Exactly. Wow. But but we're already seeing, we've seen a 15% drop in electrical. We've seen a drop in lumber and we haven't even, we're, we're just in, you know, yeah. undergrounds and, and foundations. So if your projections, all your construction prices are at the highest they are and everything's coming down, yeah. then you feel like we're in a good spot. You're in a great spot. The, the only, the, not the only, but one of the major risks is interest rates. I mean, if interest rates do get back up to six and a half, seven percent, yeah, it's Let, let's talk about that. I don't, again, I don't think anybody knows this. It's really yeah. up to the feds of what they want right. to do. Right. Some, I, I was reading an article the morning, what was this, a couple of weeks ago when they raised it 0.75 percent. And a lot of articles, we're saying we don't think they're going to raise it again. Yeah. And about a quarter of them were saying, yeah, they'll raise it up. Yeah. They rose it up. Yeah. So then next time they could do whatever. What yeah. do you foresee happening? I think they'll raise them again. Okay. I don't know how much. I don't know if it's going to be After 25 that, basis points. Or yeah. 75 again. Yeah. Or, I, 75 is aggressive. That's a big jump. It's a huge jump. And what, again, there's ripple effects that they're not allowing to, I mean, see what's happening, right? Well, my personal opinion is, just like with COVID and everything else, nobody understood what the ripple effects exactly. were. And by the time we acted, it was way, way too, too late. It, it's yeah. delayed. Yeah. And I think the same thing's going to happen again. 100%. That they don't see right now what's happening. Yeah. And by then, it'll be too long. So hopefully, they don't keep raising because I, I think we'll see the consequences of that a year after oh, they do everything. No question. And that's what's happening is you're seeing... Um, it's unfortunate because what they're doing is they're forcing more people into rentals, right? And so you have, and again, I'm not, rentals are also very different. I'm going to talk on that for one second. buying and owning. Yeah, but it's also changed from where it was when we were growing up, right? If you live in an apartment before, you, it was not the best situation, right? But now you can buy or get into nice homes, My gosh. right? Just like you're saying, the the built to rent. Yeah, you, the those, built are rent, those are homes, yeah. and they are nice homes. And, yeah. and like my apartments in uh, in West Valley, that I was just telling you about. These are solid core countertops, nice cabinetry, two or three bedrooms. You go downstairs, you've got a big seating area with barbecue in that. You've got underground parking. You've got a gym. You've got a rec center. You've got a tot lot for the kids. Yeah. You've got a swimming pool. It's not the days where it sure. was like it's hey it's a different ball game and ball it makes game. sense for people when they they could afford a, 
a house for five or six hundred K. Right. But now if like the nice new house is gonna be eight hundred to a million, yeah. they're priced out of the market. Yeah. So now they have to look towards renting to that's have right. those still yeah. same amenities, right? And a lot of people still want to have that home ownership. And so that's why in oh six excuse me, in twenty sixteen um, I actually bought um, some land, uh, actually an American Fork, to build 40 townhomes. And it was one of the best decisions because it opened up my eyes to the demand. For is that niche. For that niche yeah. in townhomes. Because people do want to still have a home ownership. Sure. Um, but it's just, my goodness, Different. when you're when you're paying two fifty. Three hundred dollars a square foot to build. God. You build a. You build a. I mean, for three hundred, well, two hundred. Let's say two hundred dollars a square foot, and you build a, you know, thirty-two hundred square foot home. You're six hundred fifty thousand dollars for a three thousand square. Three thousand square foot. Crazy. So I mean, three thousand square feet may sound big, but with the reality is, you have yeah. two or three kids. It's like California now. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's funny. Um, I I have a house in California. I, I have a. I own. A, I started a water company, water filtration company, because again, I'm looking at the data going, water is going to be as valuable, as, valuable. <laughs> as oil is. Sure. So we started a water filtration company that's done really well, bought another one last, no, two, it'll be two years in October that we do, we desalinate. So I was actually talking to Governor mm. DeSantis's team after the hurricane hit, um, trying to bring clean water to those people. To so Puerto Rico or Florida? No, or? to Florida, okay. but we have, I mean, we we actually already sell into Puerto Rico and working with the Mexican government right now because Mexico wants to get over the idea that their water's bad. So we're working with them on doing that. But my point of, of bringing that up is I bought a home in California for my team to, to stay in because um, they transitioned between Utah and, and I didn't want to have hotels for everybody, you know, every whenever they want. I want them to have a place that could be their yeah. bedroom or whatever. So it's a five bedroom home in that. And I went in and I was like, okay, tell me how much this one is. And the guy's like, well, it's $680,000. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's like Utah pricing. Like I had, in my mind, it was going to be $1.8 million. But then I started looking at the price per square foot in California and the price per square foot in Utah. It's not That's, yeah too different unless you get into Beverly Hills. Historically, or, we've never seen that. Never, never. Yeah. But that's the other funny thing coming back to the home pricing thing is, you know, you talk about, well, home prices are coming down since 2020. And again, you can read that article. It's an article on KSL today. Yeah. Um, oh, it popped up last night or this morning. Or this, yeah. I think it was last night. That it popped yeah. up. I, really I, know, saw, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. I, I read, read it this morning. Yeah. So in 2020, we saw home prices values increase by 30 some odd percent. So a dip of four or 5%. You know, I, I talked to a, a, an economist in um, uh, Los Angeles a couple of weeks. No, nah, it's been a couple of months ago now, but I talked to him. I said, so what, I mean, looks like we're in a recession. And he goes, it's a recession, but if you're going 75 miles an hour on the freeway and then you have to back down to 70, you're receding, but you're still going 70 miles an hour. Sure, It's not like, again, the big fall off that we saw. That's know. probably the most accurate description that I've heard so far, because a lot of my friends that are in real estate full time, they'll look at what's the average amount of listings that are on the market yeah. right now. Right. Yeah. And we pulled back so far and they'll say, okay, it is where, I don't know what it is, 20,000 homes, whatever, yeah. but whatever it's at, it's just at the average amount yeah. of listings. that's always been there. Normal. So yeah. we, yes, we've slowed down, but, um, I personally don't think it's going to be a big dip. No, I think because so many people have a lot of money, we've had 12 years of an amazing economy. Yeah. A lot of people have made a lot of money through real estate and yeah, different things that I think there's enough money on the sidelines to prevent a, such a big crash. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see, but let's talk about your fund for a second. Let's go deep in the fund. Yeah. Um, when somebody, if those that are not familiar with investing in a real estate fund, typically 
you could do a value add or build from the ground up. Sure. And your niche is kind of apartment complexes, yeah. it looks like. Yeah. I saw on your website you got you've done four thousand apartments and 180 townhomes. So it looks like mostly apartments. Well, yeah, apartments, townhomes, and um, and uh, industrial. Industrial. Yeah. So typically it's writing a check. That check is parked on that project or multiple projects within the fund. Yep. And hopefully the goal is to increase what, or, you know, what's the return over yeah. a couple of years? So um, there's two different theories on investing. So you have a fund structure and yeah. then you have to direct invest. Sure. Um, the fund structure is great for diversification. Um, and there's some really, really good groups in Utah. In Utah, we're pretty lucky. There's some really good quality funds. There's good quality um, sponsors out there. There's, I mean, I'm good friends with a lot of the sponsors that are in my same space. There's enough room for all of us. And yeah, it's not like we're, yeah, yeah, it's not like we're coming after each other. And so sure. there's some really good, I, I mean, I've told a couple of people because um, I don't generally do a fund for the purpose of, once you do a fund, it's really hard to do any other direct invests. So I have, um, you know, the fund is, is the reason why you, it's difficult to do that is because, well, why wouldn't you just send that deal to the fund and have that work? If that's a, such a good deal, you don't want to cherry pick that deal sure. and not give it to the fund because then you'd have a conflict of interest. And so uh, all my deals are direct invest, which allow for a couple of things. It's um, number one, which I think is big um, for anybody who's got a good ordinary income is depreciation. So when you invest directly into a piece of uh, real estate, like an apartment pot project or industrial, you can do what's called straight line depreciation. Or you can do what's called cost segregation. Yeah. So the cost segregation is you um, you depreciate your lighting faster than your um, structure, right? Or your carpet. You depreciate much quicker than you depreciate your HVAC. But your HVAC, you depreciate much quicker than your lighting. And your lighting much quicker than your, your structure. So yeah. it's a professional fee fee-based or uh, fee-based um, costs that you hire a third-party group to come out and do a cost segregation, and then you apply that to your taxes. So, you know, you invest $500,000 or hundred, let's say $100,000 um, in a deal, and it'll say your new value is at $93,000. And people call me like, hey, how did I lose money on this deal? I thought we were making money. I was like, well, no, we are, but we're depreciating yeah. your basis. Which would mean they could take $93,000 off their income. That's right. So, well, so, uh, is so, that what you're saying? so the, the depreciation the would be the $7,000. Okay, so it, you could it. be getting, um, say for $100,000, you're getting an 8% return, which yeah. is $8,000 a year. Okay, right? that makes more sense because I've done cost seg for my stuff and I'm like, dang, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can do that on an airplane. Okay, okay. You can depreciate yeah, 100%, 100%. Uh, this yeah. year. I think it's the last year. But, last year, yeah. um, But you can do on an apartment project. So it's 100000 Say, for example, you get that $8,000 in income off of an you know, 8% return, whatever. So you get this 8% return. You get this 8000 But the reality is, is you're, you're not paying... Um, eight thousand dollars in taxes because you're depreciating sure. your, your lighting or your flooring, yeah. your HVAC, whatever. And so the depreciation is one leg. Uh, the second leg is uh, principal reduction. So every month that you have this project that's cash flowing or whatever, you're paying down principal, right? So you're gaining some value. Just there. like owning your own home, you're paying down yeah. that principal of what you owe every single month. Exactly, which is building equity. That's exactly right. And then the third is. Um, the cash flow, and these are I'm talking about the benefits of that I see in sure. direct invest, and then you get the cash flow. So, 
Um, if you've got a project, like on my structures are all pretty straightforward. Um, uh, investors get their money back plus 8% a year every year that they've invested in the deal as a preferred return. My team doesn't make any money until we uh, over, you know, produce a, a return over 8%, and then we hit different hurdles and then split. But it never gets above, you know, where investors or equity uh, is getting less than half of the income. And it's got to be a, a big home run or close to a 2x, if not more than a 2x for investors, for my team to even share in that much of the project. So we have this 8% hurdle. Uh, on the direct invest, but then the, also the last benefit you have is the ability to do what's called a 1031 exchange. If people are not familiar with that, it's a tax code that allows you to sell a building and then go into a like-kind exchange, which means you can take that money and roll that into another piece of real estate and defer those taxes. Yeah, without paying taxes on the income. So if you wrote that $100,000 check and now it's worth 200000 you're not paying taxes on that net $100,000 gain. That's correct. Yep. You roll that, you defer those taxes. Eventually you'll have to pay them, whether it's through, you know, yeah, some when you pass you away or if you actually take that cash eventually and put it in your bank account, there's a, it's a process. It's not super complicated. It sounds more complicated than it is, but to your point, you invest a hundred thousand and all of a sudden now it's worth 200, sell the property. We can take that investment and roll that into a new deal. What's great about that is if you have a hundred thousand dollar deal and you're cash flowing at eight or nine percent, you're getting a nine percent return every year. You're like, this is great. Well, you sell at two hundred thousand. Really, you only have to invest in a project that's going to produce a five percent or six percent return to, you know, more than achieve what you're getting at a hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So your uh, primary investment at a hundred thousand is now getting twelve or thirteen percent, not not including your profit on the upside. Um, and then hopefully you can just kind of roll that forward over three to five years, defer those taxes as long as you can. Yeah, um, you're building that nest egg, right? What about refinancing and, and keeping the project? Yeah. I have, so that's actually tax free as well. That is, yeah, that's a, that's a non-taxable event when you have an investment in a project and then you can refinance and take that cash out because you're not disposing of that asset, um, that you can take the cash out. It changes your basis of your investment which means eventually when you sell it and take your cash out, then eventually you'll have to pay the tax on it. But that's, again, the benefit of a 1031 exchange that is in the IRS tax code. But switching gears back to the fund section of that, yeah. funds are great for diversification, number one. And number two, it's for um, risk tolerance. You're going to get your 7 or 8% a year in ordinary income. I've invested in uh, a couple of uh, deals, just friends of mine that have, that have funds in that. And it's a, it's a good way to just know, hey, every year I'm going to get, you know, six, seven, eight percent a year. When they sell an asset, you don't really feel it. It's, it's the way that it's structured. You don't roll forward in a 1031 exchange. Yeah. <clears throat> but you, you have the protection of the risk, the percentage risk of losing any of your money in a fund is like two percent. The, the risk of losing all of your money in a fund is like 0.002%. Yeah. So yeah. you're not at risk of that money. Then again, you don't see the benefit of the investment in a direct invest. So sure. it all depends on your risk tolerance, and that's a, that's a big deal. And then second to that, I mean, I get, actually primary to that, I would say, is to invest in these types of deals. You have to be an accredited investor, which yeah. means you have to make more than $200,000 a year, $250,000 a year for more than two years in a row or have a net worth of a million dollars. Yeah. So if you were looking at what, well, actually let's talk about your performance and I want to go into some other things, yeah. but for the last couple of years, 
people that have been doing the direct invest with you, what type of returns have they been seeing? Um, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Cause obviously, uh, uh, you know, past performance is not a direct sure. reflection of future, totally. you have future, uh, returns. But, um, I mean, we've had, I'll tell you one story that's purely anecdotal that is not, you know, is, and it, the timing of the real estate was good too, because we bought, um, we bought a, a property up in Bozeman, Montana of all wow. places. And it was funny because again, you, there's a lot of value you can create by simply, um, increasing the net operating income. Right. So we bought this property up in Bozeman. They were, everybody was, had their own satellite dish on their, on their balcony. It looked terrible. Um, they're all paying for their own phone services and they're all paying for their own internet. So you did what's called a triple play, right? Where you combine all of that and buy it in bulk yeah, and then sell it back to the tenant. What's great about it's a that, win-win. it's a win-win. Yeah. Rather than these people paying $170 for internet, telephone, and, um, and cable, we combine that, we get them in one package, they pay $90 a month for that. We pay $60, so we increased yeah, our net on our income. You make money and their bill's almost cut in half. That's exactly right. Yeah. So then we sold that that after about 18 months, and I had one investor that put a million dollars in. After 18 months, um, he, you know, we rolled it into this qualified intermediary, which allows us to 1031 exchange. And so his new value was 1.8 million. Dang. So I said, what do you want to do? And he's like, let's, crazy. let's keep rolling, keep it. going. So yeah. we bought a property in Albuquerque, which is a funny story because in real estate, you make your money on the buy. You, if you buy it right, you're going to do okay. It's, it's where people try and pay the max dollar for a project and hope it just gets better. Yeah. You've got to buy it below the value yeah. of the land or the property. But this property was pretty funny because we bought it in Albuquerque. And when we talked to the broker, he was a broker out of Arizona. And I was like, and you know, the, the conversation was, well, how did, how did you get this listing? He said, Oh, our group out of New York didn't know Albuquerque. So they sent it to our group in LA and our group in LA was like, well, we don't know Albuquerque. So they sent it to our group in Arizona a group in Arizona called me and said, he's a local broker. <laughs> he's like, I don't know. We'll do it for $75,000 a door. Well, the group that had it in New York, they took it back, I think, at a, I can't remember if they took it back at a bank or whatever. So I'm looking around the market with me and the partners that I had at the time, and and uh, we're going, the market's like $110,000 a door. Why is this only 75000 So we go out, and we literally walk through every building. We cannot figure out for the life of us why this is only 75000 Well, it was because no one of those guys did their due diligence. Wow. So we bought it with this 1031 exchange. And within 15 months, we flipped it for a little over two and two, uh, just under two and a half X. So our guy that wow. put a million dollars in, in less than three years, just we wrote him again. a check. Yeah. We, we ended up on that one. We uh, disposed of it um, just because it was so much cash. We couldn't find anything else in the market. We were really excited about This was in 2000 and oh, 16, 17. And at the time I thought it was like, Hey, we're at the peak of the market. Like, let's chill out before we, let's not get crazy in acquisitions. And that's when I really shifted to more development because we had, I was competing with, you know, the Blackstones and the, uh, I mean, all these big funds that could come in and pay top dollar that I couldn't compete with. So I'm like, let's shift our focus into development. And that's when we really started growing the development side. Yeah. But anyway, ended up, he had uh, his all in value. Well, a million, four million, 4.2 million. 4. 2. Yeah. So, so now again, that's 500 or a million to four to four, which is like retirement money. hundred like percent. to yeah. retire. Yeah. Now, gratefully um, he, he, uh, he has other funds. Stuff. That's not, sure, not sure. just this, but, um, but yeah, did well. And he's continued to invest. He's uh, phenomenal. He's up to, I think 
12 and a half million with me now. 8% a year sounds high, uh-huh. like in a good way. Yeah. Are your competitors offering 8% a year? It just depends on okay. their structure. Um, so what I like to do is uh, we do an 8% preferred return to sh- demonstrate like, look, we believe in this just as much as, sure. as you should. And I always put my own money in the deal as well. And so my money participates just like everyone else's. Yeah. So there's an 8% hurdle um, that if if we don't get above that, you know, we're working for free, basically. Sure. Um, and the idea is that we can take that and then um, create a home run situation for our investors. And the more that we succeed, uh, the more that we succeed in terms of producing them a good return, that's how we get a good return ourselves in terms of the investment. Yeah. So we have an incentive. That was one thing actually talking, coming back to the books. Um, and Freakonomics that I actually loved. If you've, I don't yeah. know how long ago yeah. was the last time you read it, but it's really good. Was the discussion of working on a percentage for uh, real estate agents? You know, rather than saying, "Hey, I'm just going to give you a flat fee," they don't have an incentive to sell it for top dollar because they're like, "Look, if I reduce 6%, this percent, yeah, yeah, uh, ten thousand dollars, six percent, six hundred bucks, whatever it is," and they're like, "I'll, I'll reduce it ten grand. I don't care about six hundred bucks if I get the deal done." Well, we we think, you know, the opposite of that is, you know, we should do everything we can to maximize our investors' returns so that we can participate on the upside rather yeah, than just saying... the profit. Yeah. So rather than a fund, a lot of funds, and um, this is a, just a statement, a lot of funds do what's called a 2 and 20 Yeah. Which is 2% management fee every year, and then they get 20% of the upside after their preferred return. So if their preferred return is 7%, um, anything above that, they get 20% of which sounds again great, and it, it probably is, especially as they perform. But that two percent management fee every year that they get, yeah, is how it's a way to kind of keep the lights on. Yeah, we just we do that eight percent preferred. That's what that's you know that's kind of a hurdle we have to hit before we get to participate at all. I love it. Yeah, I actually love that because I'm in some funds that do the two and twenty and. And I like conceptually what you're saying a lot yeah. more. There was a fund uh, in Utah that I actually thought was really good. Um, started, uh, well, again, I won't, but uh, started by a group that actually did a no fee 70 30. Mm. They were saying, hey, we're going to do a 7% hurdle, but anything over 7%, we get to keep 30% of. Mm. And it's funny, nobody, people had a really hard time. Well, really? why are they getting that extra 10%? We're like, well, they're not taking it that 2% every year. Yeah. So I don't know that it ever got off the ground. The, the people are, brilliant people who put it together and uh it was i mean they sent me a package and i was excited about it but they ended up not launching the fund so it's funny coming back to the fund versus direct invest structure i do have fun paperwork ready to go i've went i did the whole hired the attorneys in new york and went through the whole process and it's literally sitting on my computer to do the fund but honestly the direct invest has been great for investors i've never had a challenge on raising money for deals um we've had great successes and our investors seem to like to be able to pick and choose whether they yeah. go into idaho falls or you know saint george or salt lake what would you say to the person that maybe has five doors or they just bought a a small multifamily 10 20 unit or an rv park or whatever and they're already doing it themselves mm-hmm. compared to investing with you on a project uh, what, uh, what I'm going to say next is going to sound biased, but you know, the three T's is what people, why people stop doing their own things. The, to- the tenants, the toilets and the trash, right? If there's a toilet that's leaking and you okay. get a call at two o'clock in the morning and yeah. it's like, my goodness, I've got to go figure out how to fix a toilet at two o'clock in the morning when I should be out selling, you know, solar. <laughs> yeah. That's where people go, you know, I, I don't want to deal with that. I just want to check in my mailbox or in my bank account with an ACH deposit every month. I don't want to worry about 
the tenants, the toilets, and the trash. Because we have to worry about that kind of crap, and it's tough. Because I don't personally, because we hire a third-party management company that does okay. that, and then they do that. So then you have an on-site property manager, you have an on-site maintenance, and once you get to a certain level of unit count. It makes sense. It probably doesn't make sense to hire a third-party property manager at 10 units or th- especially three units. Yeah. But you also have the people that are, hey, I've got a duplex and my tenants are great and they don't give me any trouble and I don't have to worry about the toilets or the trash. They take care of that. That's awesome. I think that's great. I, I would look into um, seeing how you can depreciate more. I would look at, talk to your CPA or your accountant about cost segregation. Yeah. Um, and then look at opportunities to, you know, buy more. I had a conversation with the gentleman this morning that is a very large home builder in the state of Utah. And uh, he asked if he could invest in some deals. He said, you know, if I were to look back 45 years ago, I think he said 44 years ago, he's like, I would have just invested in multifamily. He's like, it's just, it's just, there's always going to be a need, even in the here, especially in Utah, when the market crashed, rents came down, but vacancy was not, we didn't get to you know, 80% vacant in the state of Utah. It yeah. was, vacancy was still really low. Uh, occupancy was high. Rents came down a little bit to kind of help fill and you had to do what's called um, some concessions where it's like, hey, you get a month free rent or you get, you know, a month free of parking or whatever in the underground, whatever. And so you had to do yeah. some concessions there. But the reality is, is, I mean, I'm not familiar with, and I'm sure there are, but I'm not familiar with any apartment projects in Utah that really, you know, had major issues. Totally. I'll, Anybody I know that owned real estate during that time, they only lost money if they sold. That's exactly right. But if they just held it, they, they were would fine. have done really yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, if you would have bought it in 2006 and held it till now, yeah. you killed it. Yeah. But it's, sure. the sell, it's the selling of it. What does a typical client look like for you that's investing in these projects? Um, like I think check size, you know, how old are they? Stuff like that. Wow. That's a good question on the, the age. Um, Cause I have some clients that are in their late eighties, believe it or not. <laughs> and then yeah. I have some clients that are, uh, you know, 22, 23. In That's fact, awesome. yeah, some, some, uh, summer sales people that have cool. done it. So again, the big thing for me is I, I can't take investors unless they are an accredited, accredited. investor. Yeah. So they have to be able to, um, demonstrate that they have that net worth or that they've made that much money yeah. two years consecutive. Um, and then after that, uh, I'd love to have people participate based on their suitability, which means, Look, if you if you have this two hundred thousand dollars or two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in income for the last four years, but in your bank account you only have thirty grand and you want to put that thirty grand in the real estate, it's probably not it's not a suitable investment for you. Sure. And I don't I don't want to put anybody in a in a bad spot. So usually, yeah. our investors are I mean net worths of uh, twenty million up to I've got a couple billionaire friends that cool. are investing. Um, I have one friend that's a <laughs> I have a one friend that's a billionaire. He's an out-of-state guy that uh, I called him and I said, hey, did you see the news on our project? He goes, dude, <laughs> I don't. He's like, I, I made more money on my house. Like, he, 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 invested, he invested $10 million and he's like, dude, like I made more on my fourth home when I sold it and it was in Lake uh, at Tahoe. Then I'm like, <laughs> the money I made yeah. on my Tahoe house is what I've invested with you. I don't really. Yeah. So you have, you have so many different paradigms, you know, the sure. guys that don't care about $10 million versus the guys that I've had guys that call me that have two fifty in and they're like, Hey, what's going on today? And I'm like today, like, really? Like, uh, we're still building, uh, happy to any, any, you know, I'm an open book. I'm happy to provide you whatever you want, but yeah. the day, the day to day updates are going to be hard for me to manage. <laughs> what do you think the average check size is? 
It's probably two fifty. Okay. Yeah, two fifty. And I, I have a couple friends and and family. I don't want anybody to be excluded if they hit yeah. the criteria. So we'll do, you know, a hundred thousand or so here and there. And there but yeah. prefer two fifty, just because we do as much paperwork on my guy that wrote a ten million dollar check as my my sure. friends that write a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it makes more check. sense to take bigger checks. Yeah. But, um, and it's probably inevitable that you have to take some small ones here and there. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but we're, we're not opposed to that either. Do you own any real estate outside of the projects that you do? Do you have single family homes or duplexes yeah. or anything? Uh, not duplexes. Yeah. Commercial and stuff. I've, um, so I own, uh, I don't like to build office, but I had a friend that had a parcel and he wanted to build an office building. So we, we developed and built an office building there. Um, I have, uh, ownership in a senior housing facility in Southern California that I did not necessarily want to do. We, we wanted to sell it, but then, you know, COVID happened and got really scary and we actually did a really good job. Our management team down there did phenomenal. We're back mm. to hundred percent occupancy. Nice. Um, but that market's kind of changed. I think people were expecting a huge sway in baby boomers being put into homes, but they found out by way of psychology and that, that they're healthier to stay in their own homes and bring oh, wow. in like the visiting angels or a home nurse. They yeah. do, they do a lot better. Cool. So, um, any advice for somebody that's maybe in their twenties, they're starting to come into money on maybe where to start or if looking back where you would have done things differently. Yeah. A hundred percent. I would have invested earlier. Um, try and, I mean, my advice would be, and it's hard. It's hard to, to be like, man, I can go buy a brand new Porsche with this new check I just got. But it, it makes so much more sense to be like, well, maybe I delay it six months until I get another check or I delay it a year, or yeah. maybe I finance. That's the other thing is, you know, the idea of um, financing your home versus paying cash for it. It all depends on your risk tolerance. If you, sure. if for you, it's peace of mind, like I just want all my home free and clear. That's great. I actually have a loan on my house. Yeah. Uh, it's not a, it's not huge. Yeah. Um, well, uh, percentage wise, it's about 60% loan to value of my home. So my home value is X. Um, I borrowed 60% of that and I've invested in my other projects because yeah. those, because I'm gratefully, I've got it at a good time and my interest rate's only like three and a half. Yeah. Um, but I'm making, you know, 10, 12, 14, 18% on my other stuff. So you, you make money on that arbitrage, borrow it at three and a half percent and invest Which it. Which I've spoke about on this podcast before. Oh, I mean, That's yeah. how I think. Yeah. It's, it's, if the cost of money is three or four, or even 5%, but you know, you can make 15 or 18 for me personally, yeah. it's hard to justify that. Right. Paying not, off that. Yeah, paying yeah. off the house. Yeah, Why I not agree. make your money work for you, yep. right? Yeah. And but I, I think it's risk tolerance. And I would never do that in a, like crypto or risky stuff. Oh, no, yeah. But you're in real estate. You've been in real estate yep. your whole career. Yeah. So you know you're going to make that 15%. Yeah. That's where I think it makes sense um, versus just, you know, rolling the dice and throwing in something <laughs> yeah, crazy, you know right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's just about the cost of money. Yeah. And you can do well with money. Yeah. And so if you see money at 3%, you're like, dang, that's yeah, cheap. That's, that's cheap money. Yeah. I can make a lot of money. Take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah totally. No, that's a good one. Well, Rich, thanks for coming on. I know you're busy. After talking with you and texting back and forth, I'm like, man, Rich is as busy as I am. <laughs> it's a challenge. Communicate. Yeah. So I'm like, I get him, you know? So I appreciate your time and thanks for coming on. No, this is awesome. Really, it's been an honor. I'm grateful to uh, know you and I'm grateful to be on the podcast. 